Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire. But beware, this podcast is haunted. Excellent as always, my dear. Yeah. Tell me about your snow globe again. It's yesterday was sunny and 60 degrees. And today it is a snow globe outside. See, we're like one day removed on our weather because two days ago it was sunny and 60 degrees. And then yesterday it was a fucking snow globe. It's almost like weather moves west to east. Oh my God. In this this area. Shut the fuck up. I will stab you. Thrilling (laughs) content. Listen up, Jen. I will stab you through this phone. I am in no mood. No, I'm fucking sick of... I can't. I can't anymore. Also, Mercury's in retrograde. Have you noticed? No. Everything's a fucking shit show. Hmm. So, like, when Mercury's in retrograde, communication becomes particularly hard. So you guys are going to hear me struggle. It just sucks. It's... 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 I need to be able to talk. I need to be able to... Oh, my God. I almost said... What did I almost say to children? We were talking. Oh, no. I know. Oh, no. Yes. Mm-hmm. Punk ass. I almost said punk ass to a room full oh, of second graders. Shit. Yeah. So again, here's Mercury in retrograde. Uh, it makes you be bad at communicating. And you can tell because of the way I had just said, be bad at communicate. Like, I don't even sound right, guys. So I was talking to these kids about the uses of animals on farms. So like, and we talked about chickens and I was like, you know, meat and eggs and feathers but also alarm clocks because roosters are aggressive and every day they see the sunrise and they're like get the fuck out of here punk ass yeah and i and almost, you said, said, you almost that. said that to children yep. that's that would be a i would have been fired be a strongly worded letter yeah yep um <laughs> on another note as you can all obviously tell i am alive yes yay not dead not dead yeah so like my house makes a lot of noises as i don't hopefully it won't be too evident in this recording but that was by far the loudest noise i've ever heard it make and i'm glad we caught it on uh on the recording because i otherwise it would have just been me with no one else to confirm it that was something else i mean i heard it all the way through over here so yeah yeah for anyone who hasn't been keeping track on on the Facebook, it's my our, our latest theory is that it's just the the wood cracking. So I don't know, whatever. There was no evidence of anyone or anything outside foul play, so it's fine. There you go. But but speaking of which, I am alone again. So hopefully nothing weird happens this time. Do your do your roommates not like you? Like apparently not i feel like i've never known you to be this alone yeah it's been it's been a trial um but i will prevail they'll be back tonight allegedly yeah you just have to get through until then just don't be murdered until they get back yeah it's also light outside right now so that helps that's true it's distinctly less creepy with the sun out isn't it yeah uh, I guess I'm just going to jump in because what else are we doing here, right? Like Really good, really good intro, really good segue. <laughs> Smooth. I'm We've telling you. We've been doing you, this for 53 episodes now. Mercury in retrograde. That's our excuse for everything. <laughs> Until cool. the 26th Welcome. or the 28th of this month. Yes, yeah. I'm well, going to crutch yeah. on it. Cool, cool, cool. Welcome to our podcast. 
Let's talk or, about some Are we doing this? Okay. I don't know. Uh, welcome to This Podcast is Haunted. My name is Kate, in case you're new here. And I'm Jen. <laughs> we only do this occasionally, but welcome. Pause for studio identification every 12 episodes. Yeah. Just in Whatever. case you, f- you have some dissociative episode and can't remember which disembodied voice belongs to which disembodied person. <laughs> Oh Christ! Uh, speaking of disembodied voices and disembodied people, oh, oh that is a good segue. No, right? We actually did it! Yay! We yes. conquered the retrograde. Um, so, speaking of disembodied voices and disembodied people, I would mm-hmm. like to talk to you about the haunting of Oscar Wilde. Well, the contact—he's not like haunting, uh, oh. but he was contacted by a medium who used his voice, the voice of Oscar Wilde, to to speak. Again, and we have a recording of the voice of Oscar Wilde. So, can I just say that it is completely on brand for Oscar Wilde to just have fucking pieced out of this universe, never to be seen again? Like, he doesn't owe us anything. Yeah, no, he's like, see, well, it's I mean, like, considering like, what we all did as a society to Oscar to, Wilde, yeah, he absolutely deserves to piece the fuck out. Yeah, he's like. Fuck you guys. I'm out of here. Right. Have fun with your life. This world never deserved Oscar Wilde. No. Oscar Wilde is my homeboy. I literally wrote that across the top of my page. Oscar Wilde is my homeboy. I was gonna I was waiting for the rest of that sentence to be in middle school. But <laughs> I no. mean like for real though, like I read The Importance <laughs> of Being Earnest when I was in seventh grade and I mm-hmm. was immediately in love. Yeah. Even though it turns out I didn't get most of the jokes until I reread it when I was an adult. But I was like, yes, this guy is hilarious. And he's like eminently quotable. So Mm -hmm. yeah, he's everything. I've loved him forever. Uh, So Oscar Wilde is my homeboy. He's got the greatest name, Jen. Are you ready for this? Yes. His name is Oscar Fingal Mm -hmm. O'Flaherty Willis Wilde. (gasps) That's the most Irish name I've ever heard. Isn't that so aggressively Irish? Oh, happy St. Paddy's Day. (laughs) Oh, yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day, babe. Which is tomorrow, and I'm going to be drinking with my good friend Byram. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) So he was born the 16th of October, 1854. He was a... Uh, an Irish poet, playwright, and author. And he uh, he also was an editor and a critical reviewer and sort of the toast of society. Oscar Wilde was very, very, very famous in his time. Mm-hmm. While he was aggressively Irish, he was actually raised Protestant. His parents were Anglo-Irish. Uh, his father was a doctor and that he actually also worked for the census takers so much so he collected so much good data that they'd never thought to collect before, that it actually eventually won him a knighthood. What? And I know. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, they were quite wealthy. He was able to build his own hospital using his own funds. His mother was a poet and translator. She knew many languages and was just a celebrated intellectual. Hmm. Speaking of brushes with fame, he was not actually friends with, but he did know George Bernard Shaw. And his childhood sweetheart, Florence Balcom, B-A-L-C-O-M-B-E, grew up to marry Bram Stoker. Okay. I know. I love Bram Stoker, so right on. Oscar was educated at home until age nine. He had governesses who taught him fluent French and German. He later attended Trinity College in Dublin, where he studied Greek. He was a classicist. And he studied under the tutelage of J.P. Mahaffey. J.P. Mahaffey taught Oscar Wilde about 
the Greeks. Do you know what I'm saying oh. when I say <laughs> the Greeks? <laughs> Big fans of athletic men. Yeah, uh, well, uh, and Oscar Wilde was a boxer for most of his yeah. life, although the rest of his life, uh, he was also quite delicate and an aesthetic. He liked flowers. Mm-hmm. But no, he uh, something something happened between him and this teacher who was, in addition to being a teacher, he was kind of a curmudgeonly sort of Ron Swanson character, um, <gasps> but also a famous wit. Nice. So when somebody who was going to surpass him in his career fell ill, this Mahaffey said, oh, I hope it's nothing trivial. Hmm. Eh. Uh-huh. And isn't that, you can kind of hear Oscar Wilde in that, right? Yeah, he's just king of the one-liners, basically. King of the one-liners, exactly. Yeah. Oscar Wilde called Mahaffey my first and best teacher, and Mahaffey once boasted that he actually invented or created Oscar Wilde. Something happened in their relationship, though. From the various sources I checked, nothing was ever explicitly stated, but later in his life, Wilde would have reservations about Mahaffey, and Hmm. Mahaffey would later call him, him, Oscar, the only blot on my tutorship. Huh. So, yeah, something went down. Yeah, you couldn't figure out what, but something went down. So, after leaving Trinity College, he matriculated into Oxford, where he became also a master mason. He was only a mason at the time he was at Trinity College. I'm sorry, uh, while he was at Oxford. Um, mm-hmm. And while he was at Oxford, he also became interested in the philosophies of aesthetics and decadence. Mm. He also, interestingly enough to me, flirted with Catholicism. He- I mean,. If there's any religion more decadent, that's true. The Catholics. <laughs> that's all. I'll want to hear about it. <laughs> that is certainly true. So he he started kind of becoming the Oscar that we're familiar with. Do you like how I call him Oscar? Like he and I know each other. It's because first we're name basis. That's, yeah. It seems a little disrespectful, but I love this guy, and we've known each other for a long time. <laughs> I sound like a psycho. (laughs) Ah, well. Uh, Anyway, um, this is where he really started developing his brand of um, being a clever wit and a wonderful entertainer and and, um, a lavish gift giver. So he really became the Oscar Wilde that we all know. After graduating, he started a tour of America giving lectures on aesthetics. It was only supposed to be four months, 50 lectures over the course of four months. It was so commercially successful that it went on for a whole year, and he ended Mm. up giving something like 120 lectures. Wow. I know. And while he was here, he met a lot of really famous American authors, including um, Walt Whitman, Henry uh, David Thoreau, and those are the only two I wrote down. So there were others. (laughs) And other notable people people who will escape the record <laughs> that's you'll have to do your own research people but while he was here he was also in america uh at a time where i anti-irish sentiment was really high so at this point in time when the irish are a maligned race quote unquote he, when he was met with this anti-irish sentiment uh, peep the 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 reviewers and the newspapers here created a lot of images of him as a monkey uh, mm. They put him in blackface, speaking on the concert halls. They called mm-hmm. Wild the Wild Man of Borneo, but also they somehow Jesus. called him unmanly. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So basically what we're saying here, guys, is that prejudice is fucking stupid. It's not based on anything realistic or reasonable at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it has more to do in this situation with, like, 
the British being in power, and mm-hmm. they've always shit on the Irish for as long as they've been around. <laughs> like because, literally centuries. Yeah, and so it, it's it's not really about race. It's all about the being them being a smaller island than England. There you so go. <laughs> it's just dumb. So he comes back to the UK. He was living in London at the time where he met the daughter uh, of a wealthy politician who was set on the Queen's Council. The father was Sir Lloyd and the daughter was Constance Lloyd. They fell in love. They created a lovely home. They had two boys who, honest to God, their boys' names are Cyril and Mm -hmm. Vivian, which I did not know could be a boy's name, but that shows... (laughs) What the Let's fuck? Bring I know. that back, right, Vivian? Vivian. Uh, so uh, Cyril was born 1885, and Vivian shortly after, in 1886. Uh, now Constance was, you know, she was the daughter of a wealthy politician, so she did have a per month dowry of a hundred pounds, mm-hmm. which ain't, you know, I mean, it's not worth sneezing at. But Wild needed to work, and. He started writing for various journals, which brought him a great deal of satisfaction. He could skewer through the written word better than most people could. He was a wonderful pundit, and uh, he could condense ideas down to clever jokes that made him very attractive. He eventually went on to be the editor of the Ladies' World magazine, where he brought some innovations to ladies' magazines. Uh, Mm -hmm. First off, he had the writers act like women had a brain. What? I know. What? So, yeah, by, by acting like women had a brain, he actually, he, they put in sections on philosophy. They put in world news. They explained things that made women <laughs> no. feel educated. I, right? God forbid these women. We don't need explanations. they're going to have ideas and they'll be thinking. A dangerous pastime. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you for picking up what I was laying down, as always. Yep. yep. <laughs> and he also did, and, and this is worth noting, he Im, he made it clear that fiction was important. Uh, a lot of women's fiction at this time was considered pulp, low fiction, full mm-hmm. of fainting women. Um, and but not anymore, thank God. <laughs> yeah, chick lit is now respected. Thank God that's over with. Indeed. He, he did write respectable things, and he also included the importance of reading to children. So mm. in this publication, The Ladies' World, he always included two works of fiction from various authors, uh, one that was important to women and another one that was to be read to children. Hmm. So when he stopped, he got, he got bored with writing this magazine, and it no longer held his interest. He let it go lagging. He wasn't meeting his deadlines. It wasn't going out on time. And so he quit slash was fired. And unfortunately, (laughs) the magazine lasted exactly one more edition without him before they also folded. So even though it was kind of an ideal magazine, it wasn't to be. But he did go on. He learned a lesson from this. And he went on to publish two books of children's stories. Mm -hmm. One is called The Happy Prince and Other Tales. And another was A House of Pomegranates. And so oh. those were able to, along with a couple other pieces of short fiction that he wrote, they would kind of create his marketable bias, uh, marketable, mm-hmm. not bias, base, his marketable base, uh, so that as he wrestled with other things mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and created other works, they would still have a royalties base coming into his household. 
Well, that's good. So... In 1890, he wrote his most famous novel. Actually, really his only novel. The rest of his works were short. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what it was? It's uh, Dorian Gray? Dorian Gray! Please, God, okay. The picture of Dorian Gray. Panicking for a minute, but yeah. We could also call it The Big Gay Book of Gayness. Because it is is as homoerotic as the volleyball scene from Top Gun. (gasps) Like, the whole thing is... He describes the face of Dorian Gray as being composed of white feathers and rosebuds. Wow. Or something, like, God. equally... Yeah, like... It's been a while since I've read it, but, yeah, maybe I'll get back mean, to it. it's worth reading. Uh, mm-hmm. There's actually some great adaptations of it. Mm-hmm. But people were fucking furious <laughs> over how aggressively gay this book was. Um, and that it also dealt Why? with uh, <laughs> the Victorians were sexual prudes. What? what? You mean people still today have a problem with people being overtly homosexual? What? Indeed. Shocking, but true. You heard it here first, people, because I'm sure this is news. Not, yeah. not in our, not in the year of our Lord. <laughs> 2019, it's 2019 Jen. or oh. 18s, whatever the fuck. <laughs> Look who's struggling with the uh, words. With, well, yes, with the words because of Mercury. Uh huh. Look who's struggling with the retrograde. So he got a lot of criticism for this. That was that came out in 1890. His his sons are young. By 1891, he met Lord Alfred Douglas, mm-hmm. and this would be a relationship that changed the rest of his life. It was a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. If Wilde was indiscreet, Lord Alfred Douglas was a reckless hedonist. <laughs> they, oh. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Douglas introduced Wilde to working class rent boys, uh, also known as low, low class prostitutes. Oh. Uh, you, have you never heard the term rent boy before? No, I have not. There you go. Today's the day. Yep. So these, they've regularly went to lower end restaurants and dark alleys where they would find, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm coming up with? Oh God, retrograde. Let me have it. Um, brothels that mm. catered to homosexual love. Mm-hmm. So during this time period where he's relying on these, uh, these books that he's created, he also starts stepping into the theater. And he wrote pieces that were critically very well received. Uh, the first one was called Salome. It was the story of a girl uh, from the Bible who wanted the head of John the Baptist. Um, none yeah. less than Sarah Bernhardt, the very, very, Ooh. very famous Victorian-era actress. Mm-hmm. She was going to star in it. But it was considered so shocking because, you know, they want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. Yeah. That the Lord Chamberlain of the theaters would not allow it to have a license to play. Hmm. Damn. Uh, It would eventually run uh, during, while Hmm. he was imprisoned. Uh, Which, by the way, spoiler alert, motherfucker's going to jail. (laughs) Damn. And, you know, because that didn't get to get published and, and seen... Uh, not published, uh, performed, mm-hmm. <sighs> retrograde. <laughs> he went on to write other plays, each one a bigger success than the last. The very first one was Lady Windermere's Fan. 
which <laughs> is, well, these are all about the relationships of women. Uh, a woman mm-hmm. of no importance, which is all about uh, illegitimate births. Mm-hmm. An ideal husband. Uh, each one of these is a critique on the suffocating nature of Victorian culture. Mm. And then, of course, his most famous, his masterpiece, really, The Importance of Being Earnest. The best one. The I mean, best one! Not that I've seen any of the others, but God, it's it's so good. It's so good. Honestly, it even reads well on the page. Plays are meant to be performed, but some of them are good reading, too. Mm-hmm. So The Importance of Being Earnest was his masterpiece. And it was such a huge critical and commercial success that it drew a great deal of attention to the next part of his life. Mm. The father of Lord Alfred Douglas was the Marquess of Queensbury. And the Marquess of Queensbury really took exception. So he would constantly call out Wilde, and he once sent a calling card to Oscar Wilde's club. A calling card, for those of you who don't know, was a means of communication. It looked like a business card. It was kind of like saying, hey, we need to set, we need to talk. Yeah. It was basically just like, I was here. <laughs> right. I, I intend to back. speak to you. Yeah, exactly. The, the Marquess of Queensbury sent on his calling card to Oscar Wilde that posing sodomite. Oh, shit. Yeah, and that's... lots of people saw that, and that was a big call out to Wilde. Yeah, that's it's uh, not a very uh, nice thing to put on a card. Pretty, pretty big shot across the old bow yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So Wilde, against the judgment and advice of his many friends, as very famously seen by George Bernard Shaw, they all met in this cafe where they loudly discussed uh, Oscar Wilde suing Queen. Uh, uh, Mar- Marquess Queens- Mercury, <laughs> the Marquess of Queensbury. They they talk about suing him for libel, and all of his friends are like, "Dude, don't do it." Mm. And Oscar Wilde is like, "I'm gonna do it." <laughs> Big old stinking mistake. And by the yeah. end of his life, Oscar Mild, Oscar Mild, oh Oscar Wilde, Jen. <laughs> this is a time. I told you, I've been struggling. I'm not even drunk. Maybe if I were drunk, that would help. Mm. So this, he brings a libel suit. Do you know what libel is? Yeah, it's uh, you can't. You said uh, hearsay about me, and it's bad, and you're messing with my reputation publicly. And that's the the way to counter a libel suit is very famous to prove that it is true. I can say whatever the fuck I want about you, so long as I can prove that it's true. It's only libel if it's a lie. So if your concern is that. Uh, somebody is libeling you as a sodomite. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> They're going to have to prove that you're a sodomite. Shit. So the Marquess of Queens- Queensbury does exactly that. There was such a Ooh. mountain of evidence prepared for this trial proving that Oscar Wilde absolutely was having homosexual relationships with men mm-hmm. that upon the input of the evidence you know uh where they have to declare mm-hmm. uh, oscar wilde reminded everybody rather sheepishly that he was the prosecutor in this case that oh, he was seeking prosecution mm-hmm. so it was almost instantly turned back onto him and he was so famous that it turned into a huge hysterical crowd mm-hmm. uh that when he had the case dismissed because there was obviously no way he was going to win the very mm-hmm. next day the crown arrested him and charged him 
with uh, the love that dare not speak its name. Yeah. So that's Regina v. Wilde. So it's the queen. Queen Victoria mm-hmm. or the state of Queen Victoria versus Oscar Wilde. Yep. So he had the book thrown at him. He was given the harshest possible punishment, which was two years hard labor. Mm-hmm. He served from 19... I'm sorry, from 1895 until 1897, first in the Newgate Prison in London, Wandsworth mm-hmm. Prison in London, and then uh, Reading Prison, I believe. It looks like reading on the page, but something right, but my Anglo-Saxon because... sense is saying <laughs> Reading. Yeah, because the British pronounce everything weird. Yeah. It's Reading. Tiff, will you just confirm that it is Reading? Thanks. Love you. <laughs> um, That's where my favorite museum Twitter is. Really? The, the Museum of English Rural Life. The Merle. They're in Reading. <laughs> uh, shout out to the Museum of English shout Rural out. Life. Shout out. To the Merle, follow them on Twitter. They're delightful. Well, there you go. So uh, while he was there, he wrote his last two major pieces, uh, Mm -hmm. The Ballad of Reading Jail. Um, Also, Jail in England, G-A-O-L, fun. Gow! (laughs) Right? And then he also wrote, effectively, a confession and Mm -hmm. a... mm, Come on, retrograde, give me the word... Mm-hmm. A a a confirmation a that he he saw the error of his ways and he's returning to God like a repentance yes and of course I wouldn't have written the word down why would I have it it's only no. the most important last thing he wrote well you know <sighs> whatever you guys can look it up <laughs> so he was released and he immediately that same day left for Paris he was done with England he had been injured many times while he was in jail. Mm -hmm. Uh, His body was already sickly. He was not doing well. While he was within the Reading Jail, uh, he fell, and it bursted an eardrum. And bursted? I don't think that's a word. Burst. Retrograde! Bursted. I'm going to leave all this in here just so everybody can hear what a fuck-up I am. I feel like this is the title of our show. (laughs) Fucking retrograde. Yeah. Uh, So it burst his eardrum, and that would actually likely result in his death. Mm. So he is penniless in Paris, where he develops meningitis of the brain. And by 1900, just two years after he was released at age 46, he would die penniless and alone. Now, I know, just before he died, he did actually finally convert to Catholicism and changed his name from Oscar Wilde to Sebastian Melmoth, Sebastian for St. Sebastian, mm-hmm. and Melmoth for the very famous story of Melmoth the Wanderer. Okay. You can kind of see how that would appeal to him. Mm-hmm. I will note, because a little bit of justice is important, he was posthumously pardoned for his crime Yeah. in a large-scale pardoning given by the English authorities in 2007. That's that's good. Did they you know, pardon everyone that they... They did. Uh, they okay. did. It was more important to more contemporary figures like Alan Turing. Yeah. Uh, but Oscar Wilde was in there as well, and I think rightly so. Yeah. It's always, uh, it's always good for a country to be able to uh, say, wow, we fucked up. Yeah. Sorry. God. <laughs> Has our country done that ever? It's, we don't know. I can't wait. Well, you know, I will say we're getting better. Uh, we have had presidents yeah. who recognize, for example, the genocide of Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Andrew Jackson is still on the most commonly used bill in American currency. So 
Uh, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Andrew Jackson, genocidal maniac, uh, killed people for fun. And it's we honored worst. him with our currency, you know. Yeah, and it's our current president's favorite president, which says a lot. Yeah. Now I'm anyway, sad. Well, do you want to talk about the ultimate sad boy? I do. Wait, no. All right. I'm not done. My guy oh, is still thing. Done. My guy That's still right. thing. Jen, this isn't <laughs> Sorry, this podcast I is forgot. interesting. It's this podcast is haunted. I forgot about the most important part. Right, the haunting part. Yeah. I feel like this is your, that's your ballywick though. That's your thing. You're like, cool history. Let's move on. I know. And I'm like, no, Jen, hauntings. <laughs> well, my, my problem is that I can't verify anything, any hauntings ever. So I'm just like, well, here's a cool story from this right. life. We need like a firm place to stand. I get you. Yeah. So let's leave Oscar in the grave for a second Mm -hmm. and jump forward to the year 1911 and the birth of a very interesting man, Leslie Flint. Leslie Flint was a spiritualist and a medium who practiced direct voice spiritualism. Fuck. Oh my God. Direct voice spiritualism. Uh He was a medium whose power lie in conjuring ectoplasm yep. that would create a speaking box of vocal cords uh-huh. that apparently would manifest on his shoulder. Now, like I'm going like to go ahead and say that I'm feeling skeptical. That's, that's fine. That's a good way to feel. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I, I can't say that I feel necessarily different, but okay. I, I'm just here to give the facts. Yeah. So when he would speak to the other side, uh, ectoplasm would be conjured and would make the, the, the speaker box, what have you, appear mm-hmm. on his shoulder and the voice of the conjured spirit would come through exactly as it sounded when they were alive. But a little bit about his mm-hmm. life. Uh, born in London, 1911, he had reached the peak of his fame from the 1930s to the 1960s. He did die in 1994. The first ghost he ever saw was his uncle. His uncle had just died and had appeared mm-hmm. to him when he was just seven years old. He gave his first seance when he was 17. Hmm. He used uh, a familiar whose name was Mickey. Mickey was a ghost child who died in 1910. And he was a ghost child in there somewhere. Indeed. During the height of his fame, uh, 1930s to the 1960s, a couple important world events go down, including but not limited to World War II. He was actually, Leslie Flint was a conscientious, a conscientious. Now this one's hard no matter what time it is. Here we go. Conscientious objector. Thank you. Okay. A conscientious objector. He was put in the UK's non-combatant troops, non-combatant corps, and then he was seconded to coal mining to help the war effort, which I think is fine. I'm not in any way calling him a coward. I think conscientious... Fuck. I feel like people who don't want to violently fight yep. are, are just as valid in service to our countries. Or, you know, if they feel like the war is unethical... Unethical. God damn it. Okay, so let's just move forward. Stop laughing. Uh-huh. Stop laughing. Okay. Okay. 
So when he did seances, Mm -hmm. the voices of the dead would be summoned and they would actually be heard around the room. Many people who were detractors of him said that he was capable of throwing his voice. Mm -hmm. I have never known somebody to throw their voice so well that they can do it around a room. I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. He insisted, though, that these vocal cords were created and changed, but he mostly spent his time contacting celebrities. Which you would have ample, I mean, that that cuts both ways. Like, he would have plenty of access to, to study how mm-hmm. they sound, but also, like, we would have a lot to compare it to so yeah (laughs) exactly uh so it was both the seat of his fame and also the seat of his skepticism some of the famous celebrities that he contacted included friedrich chopin the Mm -hmm. the the composer winston churchill conan i'm sorry arthur conan doyle Mm -hmm. gandhi could shoot for the fucking sky right now yeah okay what no i was just i just had a question about accents ah Thank you. He also <laughs> contacted Marilyn Monroe and very notably Oscar Wilde. Now, I also will say, as a reminder, he's not doing this in the height of the Victorian era. He's mm-hmm. doing this through the 30s and the 60s, where tapes are capable of being made. And he actually did record all of his seance settings as proof. Does he have a recording of a... Oscar Wilde? Jen, if you open up your email, you will find a link to a YouTube video. I only want you to play, it's a 29-minute video, and we're not going to. Okay. That's just exhausting. But if you want to play like the first 30 seconds or so, you hear Oscar Wilde come on, and he makes Mm -hmm. a very Oscar Wilde-style joke. They ask him how he's doing, and he basically says, I I can't say I'm doing well. I'm doing exactly nothing. So, (laughs) because he's just a moldern in the grave. Yeah. Uh, does he does he ha- talk with his regular voice at all in this recording? Or I didn't. I wasn't going to listen to all twenty nine minutes of it. All I right. didn't hear anybody but Oscar Wilde speaking. Okay. Or right. the person that he insisted was Oscar Wilde. Sure, sure. Well, shall we cue it up? Let's. Yeah, let's cue it up. I'm delighted to be here. I'm not quite sure if you can hear me. Hear you quite well. Since I'm precisely doing nothing at the moment, I can't see how you can consider that I'm extremely well. Okay. All right. So that he really, you know, in terms of like the turn of wit. Mm-hmm. That sounded very Wildean to me. Yeah. But <laughs> I do have a couple notes on potential fraud. Yes. So this voice box that he conjured by ectoplasm that sat on his shoulder. Which sounds very scientific. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it looked like cheesecloth. <laughs> like just like a wad of cheesecloth covered in goop. Ew. So Ew. yeah gross he also was tested during his life people didn't believe that he was not using his own vocal cords so he had somebody come in and and tape his mouth Mm -hmm. and with an indelible marker they traced a line around the tape so that they would know if he had removed the tape and of course 
they say he failed that test, that he went into his cupboard where he, he often gave these uh, speeches from in this dark room. Oh, so removed. he didn't even do it. He just, he went into a secret box and did this? Yep. That sometimes, not every time, Okay. but sometimes. All uh, right. Yes, he would go into a small cupboard and give it from in there. But he, when they removed the tape again, part of the indelible line that they had made was covered by the tape, so it was put back on hastily. Mm. Also, Oscar Wilde, uh, Oscar Finnegan O'Flaherty, <laughs> Willis Wilde, <laughs> who was so aggressively Irish yeah. uh, that the Americans lampooned him as being ape-like in his Irishness. Mm. Did you hear any Irish accent in, in I, that? I uh, gotta say, it sounded very uh very british to me yeah sounded sounded pretty well british there so he had no every time he he tried to reach out to somebody who was of you know foreign descent for example helena blatovsky Blat- mm-hmm. blavatsky helena mm-hmm. blavatsky she was a russian philosophist philosophist oh my god jesus <sighs> mercury <laughs> <laughs> She was a philosopher, and she was contacted and sounded not at all Russian. Ah. Wild. Did not at all sound Irish. Mm-hmm. A woman named Gladys Lorimer, was, uh, she was trying to reach out to her husband using Flint's talents, and when he was speaking to her, she asked if, if it was somebody else because it sounded nothing like her husband. Mm. Two other critics uh, sat in the room with him and said, well, it just sounded like Flint the whole time. Mm. Uh, they also accused him of using pre-recorded tapes in different speakers around the room. That is uh, what I was going to say about the whole box thing. <laughs> exactly. We just have to remember, when we think of seances, we think of these very Victorian-era rudimentary uh-huh. setups. And this wasn't. This guy's late. And so he had the yeah. he had the capabilities to buy some A V technology. Recorders. Yeah. I personally don't believe it, but there are stories for you to check mm-hmm. out. Over two thousand tapes, part of the Leslie Flint Education Trust by the University of Manitoba, Jesus. to whom he left all of his life's work. Okay. Are available on YouTube. All right. So well, check it out. Check it out. Tell us what you think of it. Yeah, I would have wanted that that woman to ask personal questions of her husband. Right. For confirmation. Things that only husbands and wives only... know. Like, yeah. on which leg was that huge zit that you popped for me? Because well, that that's is where thing. your mind went. <laughs> well, the, I'm in a marriage, Jen. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> that's, that's real love, okay? All right. So that was my... Haunting, uh, my somewhat <laughs> lack of haunting, haunting, dubious, haunting, dubious at best. But like, uh, but still, it's, it's interesting. A, it's a good excuse to talk about Oscar Wilde, who is one of my favorite authors. Yeah. So any any excuse I have to talk about Oscar Wilde, I will take because I adore him. Yeah, he's amazing, and I love him. Um, and good for him for moving on with his afterlife. Honestly, uh, um, for but on yeah, his afterlife. Moving on with his afterlife. Um, but yeah, someone who you could probably imagine could never move on because he just has so many feelings and so many feelings about death in particular. 
is, of course, Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, my other homeboy. Our King of my goth heart. Yeah, our American goth hero. Um, Yeah, so he was born in 1809 on January 19th. Um, He's the second child of actors David and Eliza Arnold Hopkins Poe. So that's where he gets his drama from. Drama. Um, his father abandoned the family in 1810. Real classy. Um, and his mother died a year later. So Sad. he is like two years old and an orphan. Um, so he's taken in. I have no idea what happens to his older sibling or even like the gender or name of the older sibling. I don't know. I guess um, it doesn't really matter. doesn't matter. Uh, so he's taken in by people. Uh, John and Francis Allen of Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And that is where the Allen in his name comes from. Edward. Oh. Yeah. Neat. So he's raised by this couple. They never actually legally adopt him. And he clearly has some daddy issues over that. He was kind of like a problem child. He attended the University of Virginia, but he had to drop out due to a shortage of money because his father was like, nope. Yeah, so he fought with his adopted father a lot about money and he was basically cut off. So he ends up enlisting in the army in 1827 under a different name. And he- Is he like 17 at that time? 1827? 1827? No, he'd be a little older. His father abandoned the family in 1810. That's the math I was doing. He's born in 1809. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so he... Yeah, about about, uh, 18. Okay. Yeah, 17, 18, good math. Good math. So he was not very good at army... As you could probably guess. I don't know a whole lot of goth boys who are good at army, but you know. Yeah. These are my awards, mother. <laughs> <laughs> my awards from army. It's <laughs> uh, an arrested development joke if you haven't seen it. So, but he, he went to West Point for a, a brief time, um, but he fails as an officer cadet. And during this time, he also starts publishing stories anonymously he's publishes publishes them under the name a bostonian because that's where he's born he's born in boston so around the time where he flunks out of west point he decides to devote his life to be being a poet and a writer he spends the next few years writing for literary journals and periodicals because he is a white male can do whatever he wants that's right (laughs) if the army doesn't want you the newspapers do Yes, getting that job is just that easy. So he becomes known for his literary criticism. That's what he does. He publishes journals reviewing other people's writing, and that's what he becomes known for, which is a living. He moved around quite a bit. He lived in Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, and Richmond, Virginia. From March 1831 to October 1833, he lived in Baltimore with his grandmother, his aunt, Maria Clem. So that's his mother. Yeah. No. Whatever. They're related. His aunt. Um, <laughs> I looked at the family tree, but it's really not important. Who gives a shit? <laughs> so 
his grandmother's aunt and her children, Henry and Virginia. Virginia is around nine to 12 years old at this time. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you see where this is going? Uh-oh. Uh, because in uh, 1835, they get special permission to marry. Uh-oh. How old was she by 1835? Uh, 13. Oh, no. Every 13 time. years old and his first cousin... Hot, so hot right now. Yeah, yeah. How old yeah. is he? He was well, unless the answer is fourteen, it's still fucking gross. Yeah, I think he was like twenty-seven or something. Oh my god. Yeah, it's bad. <sighs> it's not good. <laughs> Can I just put in a quick PSA? Yeah. My friends who know girls who are like 12, 13, 14 years old, protect those girls. They yeah. all think they're big and bad. I'm speaking I'm like speaking to my 12-year-old self. Mm-hmm. They think they know what they want. They think they're in charge of their lives. They don't know shit and they get involved with predatory men because nobody's mm-hmm. looking out for them. Look out yeah. for the little sisters in your life, okay? Or it's just like little like women. Like, yeah. you know, that's just, people always make this comment about when something bad happens to a woman. They're like, imagine how you would feel if this was your daughter or your sister or your cousin. Like, imagine how you would feel if this was a person. Right. And well, sorry, when I'm saying you. sisters, like, no, I, know. But like, I don't mean like, like your gives you... blood sister. Like, I don't care if she's related to anybody, okay. but she's like my little sisters. Like, they're like our yeah. sisters. Sure. Yeah. I mean. But yes, also just treat people like people, people. and 14 year olds should not be getting married. Not That wasn't even appropriate in 1840, whatever. It was not appropriate back then either. Yeah. Like, they're children. You're, right. You're a child. And you're like, letting I know, your child be molested, and you Yeah. Know like, I remember feeling like, oh, I'm a grown-up when I, you know, went through puberty. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's what you are. You're, you're going through puberty, which is a sure sign that you are still <laughs> a child. Super-duper not a grown-up. Yeah. I was not a, like, I was thinking about this the other day. I was not a grown-up when I was in college. I oh, ruined no. college for myself. Like, yeah. had I gone to had I gone to college when I was twenty four instead of graduating when I was twenty two, mm. I would have had a much better experience in college. Like, I would have learned more things. Yeah, like there's so many ways in which the choices that we make, teenagers make, are just yeah. not. They're not equipped to make those choices, and they right. can affect your whole life. And I effectively majored in marijuana when I could have been doing something like real with my life and right. thirty six thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Like, why did I make the choice to spend thousands and thousands of dollars and get into debt when at the age of seventeen, when I didn't even really have a real concept of what money was, and, and um, would not be able to enter into any other sort of legal contract? Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. That was my PSA. Yeah. Let's get back to talking about this pedophile that I love. Okay. Well, maybe this will make you feel slightly better. Probably Um, not, but lay it on me. So they, by all accounts, they had a good relationship by, but by many accounts, their relationship is said to have been more akin to brother and sister relationships or, you know, like first cousins, you know, Mm. like they, I don't know. Like, they loved each other, but some people say that it was less sexual and more familial. 
Which I mean, is I guess. good because they're family. <laughs> like, right. Why did you get married in the first place, though? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I just... It's fine. I, it's... I don't get to... Historically, we cannot point our finger at historic figures and say, don't you, don't you live by this code that didn't apply yeah. to you back then. I'm being unfair. But also, I have a lot of feelings about men who have sex with little girls. So. I mean, we're allowed to be skeeved at by it. Yeah. Meanwhile, so. The Mask of the Red Death is one of my favorite short stories. So, Yeah, I didn't really go into too much detail about what he wrote during what times because... Right, 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 right. He wrote a, a lot of stories. He wrote um, a lot. He He's a lot more prolific than, than Wilde, for example. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he gets married to his cousin. They move around and she has, you know, that time where you you think you're alone and you just get a little cough in your throat and you break out your handkerchief and you cough into it. And what's that? A spot of blood? Yeah, so she contracts tuberculosis in 1842. How old was she then? 14? She is... She's in her 20s. Oh, well, good for them. Early 20s. Yeah, around the time. The, she's she's ripe for an early death. So he is kind of like in the height of his writing time at this point. Um, and in January of 1845, he publishes The Raven. And it is an instant success. And so he is like a super celebrity at this point. But this is also around the time where he starts talking to other ladies. Because maybe he wanted someone his own age who wasn't directly related to him. We don't know. So he gets, like, Mercury. Um, <laughs> Yay, it's I, not just me. How do I even start saying this? Um, so there's two other women authors, authors who are women, who start kind of interacting with him around this time, probably because he's so successful and they want his success to rub off on them. I don't know. He So he starts exchanging letters with two different women, um, including Francis Sargent Osgood and Elizabeth Ellett. So Osgood is, she's married, but she's separated from her husband. And she starts writing letters to Poe, who has written nice things about her writing in the papers. Because remember, he does criticism. Right. So they start writing back and forth. And some of them are private letters, and some of them are kind of public in the papers kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. He publishes a poem called a Valentine or something. Basically, he, he publishes a Valentine that it like within the poem is references to her and her name. Oh. Yeah. So it's kind of out in the open, kind of semi-private. Like everyone seems to be weirdly cool with it. Like, she is separated from her husband, and there's also accounts that say that Virginia was pretty cool with it because Osgood was a good influence on Poe. Like, he's, he, like, cut way down on his drinking. So she kind of lets it happen. But someone who gets kind of jealous is Elizabeth Ellett, who is another author, and she also has dreams of getting involved with our guy Poe. And so she kind of inserts herself into this menage a trois, if you will. Sure. And she kind of confronts Osgood and she claims that Virginia showed her Osgood's letters and advises Osgood to ask for them back, which she does. And But um, Elliot 
continues to threaten to expose their relationship. And she even goes so far as to claim that Osgood's youngest child is actually Poe's. Oh. Yes. Wow, so, that's, a, that's a lot. That's that's enough for libel right there. That is a lot of words. So Poe is not into Ellet very much. Uh, he gets a little... Um, angry that she's kind of inserting herself into this situation he gets angry and suggests that she had better look quote look after her own letters so apparently she was also writing a lot of naughty letters to poe great <laughs> and um osgood's husband gets involved and demands that Ellet apologize to his wife doesn't seem to know <laughs> or care about what she's doing with his own, what his own wife is doing with Poe. How so, very Peyton Place. Yeah, it's a. Uh, this has really nothing to do with his ghost, but I just found it to be fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so Elliot responds in a public letter by blaming Virginia for this whole thing. Basically, I don't know. It's very what dramatic. The hell, like this is the extent of. The drama that Poe got himself into. So do you think it was that he was famous or did he have like a magic dick? Oh, I think he was famous. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. He doesn't, he really does not seem to be a Lord Byron. Um, so, like, I think, I think they saw, like, he was a literary critic. So I think they saw it you know, being on his good side as a way to get yes. more famous. Yes. Especially since they were, like, carrying on so publicly. Like, it almost seems as though, like, I would believe that, like, Osgood and Poe, like, exchanged flirtatious letters, but that might have been the extent of it. Hmm. Like, I mean, maybe they consummated things, but, like, it seemed pretty chill. And it just, I don't know. It just got out of out of control. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I had similar things happen in middle school. This is the best. I know. Like that's what it is. It's if it it does feel very middle school. It's Maybe things. because they're all barely out of middle school age wise. That's true. These are all very young people who are giving <laughs> control least, of their lives. At least Virginia. Yeah. So that all happens within the span of a couple of years. And Virginia is is meanwhile is consumptive and she ends up dying in 1847 and on her deathbed she claimed that Ellet had murdered her what i guess it's like the ultimate trump move like yeah i mean it's not like i don't think it was like a literal murder accusation but it's just like you drove me to to death because even of better your, your so dramatic ridiculousness yeah i love it i i we should all aspire to be so petty i get i feel like that's what this all is so so high school drama petty yes fabulous it's a bunch of incestuous theater kids really like if you think about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh. so uh, Virginia's death and probably a lot of the ensuing lady drama really had a bad effect on Poe. He, like the theme of, you know, women dying tragically young is a is a recurring theme in all of his work. Very true. Very, very Annabelle Lee, etc. So he kind of becomes peak sad boy at this time. 
he starts drinking very heavily and, and doing a lot of drugs. And so on October 3rd, 1849, so this is two years after Virginia's death, he Poe is found delirious on the streets of Baltimore, quote, in great distress and in need of immediate assistance. Uh, so he's taken to Washington Medical College where he died on Sunday, October 7th at the age of 40. The cause of his death is unknown. It could have been alcohol-related. Uh, one of their theories was, quote, brain congestion. Wow. Yeah. It could be cholera, drugs, heart disease, rabies, <laughs> suicide, tuberculosis, or something else entirely. He was not coherent enough. He would, he Even though he stayed alive for, like, five days, he wasn't coherent enough to explain really anything about like how he came to be found on that park bench you know just going crazy and dying and he was also wearing clothes that were not his so fascinating yeah we still don't know what his cause of death was because sadly his none of his medical records or like autopsy reports survive they've all been lost so He's also said to have repeatedly called out the name Reynolds um, on the night before his death, but nobody knows to whom he was referring. And some say his last words were, Lord, help my poor soul. But again, we don't know for sure. Fascinating. Yeah. So that was his life. Now. Not a great life. Both of these men. I mean, like at least Oscar Wilde got to enjoy being famous. Yeah. I mean, I feel like... I feel like what Poe got was notoriety and probably money out of the deal, but like he just never seemed to be very satisfied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, of course, of course, there are reports of his ghost. I mean, there would have to be after that kind of there death. Is, there would have to be. Um, it's so it's so mysterious. Like, I wanted to know more. I don't know. I want conspiracy theories about his death, and I'm sure they are somewhere out there. <laughs> I remember that. Did you ever see that John Cusack movie where he's Oh, uh, The Raven? Yeah. That's not a while no. ago, but I don't remember anything about it. I anyway. might try and look for it, though, because I do enjoy John Cusack, and I do Me enjoy too. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, and he, he's, he's good face casting. Yeah. So he is buried in the Westminster Churchyard in Baltimore. And fun fact, once a year since 1944, on January 19th? 19th on his birthday a mysterious dark figure has cleared off his grave and leaves behind three red roses and a bottle of cognac wow nobody has ever figured out who it is there's been sightings uh and he always appears it always appears to be a figure wearing a black frock coat and fedora with a scarf pulled up over his face which i would say of course it was a fedora guy but but, but honestly, been... like, this is not the works of Fedora, guys. This is, Pe- no. Poe wasn't really his thing. Uh, yeah. But you remember in the early 2Ks when Fedoras were big with the goth guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know. But this has been happening since 1944, too. Oh, when Fedoras were different. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, proper Fedoras, like Indiana proper Joneses. actual, yeah. Yeah. As opposed um, to, like, the little pithy turned-up ones that we were so... Fond yeah. Of. <laughs> See, that's the real. That's the difference. Nineteen forties fedoras have a much wider brim mm-hmm. and are much more legit hats. Yes. 
then they just started getting small and now they're basically glorified yarmulkes like they're just like little they just perch on top of your head which is not to say anything against yarmulkes because i'm sorry i would never but but in terms of like tiny hats yeah the 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 fedora has been much maligned but it really doesn't deserve the criticism that it gets right yeah it's the people who made fedoras shitty not should fedoras make fuck Mm-hmm. Not fedoras making people shitty. Exactly. So since this has been happening for a very long time, the, he tends to draw crowds. And despite all these crowds gathering every year, the figure has never been identified. In 1990, a Life magazine photographer sat in wait with a night vision camera and captured an image of the man kneeling at the gravesite, but the camera was unable to distinguish any facial features. But since then, the cemetery refuses to allow anyone to take pictures because, like, do we even really want to know, like, who this right. is? I feel like that would make it just so lame if we I kind of want to yell at Life Magazine for even doing that because yeah. leave it alone. Yeah. it's I, I also object... There's this idea that we are deserving to know of every secret. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I, I, so this is an instance, you know, where where we get to we know we deserve to know who is leaving three roses and a bottle of cognac for Edgar Allan Poe. We mm-hmm. don't. It's none of our damn business. Right. Uh, but I'm also going to take a second to apply the same logic to the person who put together the podcast. Uh, what happened to Richard Simmons? Oh, yeah. Fucking leave Richard Simmons alone. It is none of your business what is happening to him. Like, if he's having a mental breakdown or he just is tired of being famous, leave him alone. We don't. Right. I mean, if he's having a mental breakdown, I hope he gets help. But I don't feel like a national podcast is going to really do that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Privacy where privacy is due. I'm, exactly. I'm all for that. Exactly. Privacy where privacy is due. We don't... You are not owed the story. And I feel like we sometimes are entitled. We feel entitled to the story. And I have to remind myself of this frequently as well. It's not just y'all. It is me too. I am not owed. Oh, yeah, because I want to scratch that itch so badly. Like, I want to hear the story. But then at the end of the day, I have to remind myself, like, if in this, especially this particular instance, like, I feel like it would be a huge letdown. Actually, find out the story of who was doing it. Yes. But yeah, like it's almost taken on kind of a mythical, like, like, is it actually like a person or is it a ghost? Like, is it something that's, I mean, clearly if it's a person, it's something that's had to have been passed down from like one person to the next person. Cause like mm-hmm. it's been going on for so long, mm-hmm. but that's, I mean, that's beautiful. I love it. It should yeah. remain a mystery unless it's really good story. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jen, we just said. Ah, okay. So anyway, that's his grave. So there are several of his residences because he moved around so a lot. There's a lot of places that I'm sorry, he moved around so a lot. Yep. (laughs) Or just Mercury. Because he moved around a lot. He there are several houses that can claim to have been lived in by Poe. So there's one, uh, the the Poe House in Baltimore. It's located just a few blocks away from his burial site, but it's not where he died. He, it's the house that he lived in with his grandmother and aunt where he met Virginia. <laughs> well, not, I don't know if he probably met her before then, but like, you know. So it is 
said to be haunted not specifically by Poe, but by an unidentified female spirit. Hmm. She's described as a heavyset woman with gray hair dressed in clothing of the early 1800s. So most people guess that that is his grandmother, Elizabeth Poe, who died in the house in 1835. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so a little history about the house. It's uh, vacant from 1922 to 1949 when it became a historical site. Uh, since the 1960s, the sounds of hushed voices, windows and doors opening by themselves, and a phantom finger touching visitors on their shoulders have all been reported. Fuck that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I would totally go visit this site, but if anything fucking touches me, I will leave. Yeah, touching, that is that is a thing that is uncomfortable. Don't touch people. Consent. I don't, like... Touching and also like the just like the physical effects on your body. Like I gotta okay, so I was I was at my favorite local haunt, Hyde Hall, yesterday, and I gotta say, I was hanging out in the nursery and I started feeling very lightheaded and I was like, Oh fuck this. <laughs> I like had to move. I was like, I'm getting away from this area now because I feel like I'm getting more sensitive to this house and it's like scaring me. Um anyway, so yeah, physical touch. Super weird. Most activity is reported in Poe's attic room and in his mother, uh, his grandmother's bedroom, which would explain um, yeah. the figure that's seen. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Also, weirdly, during the riots after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination in April 1968, neighbors called police to report strange flickering lights in the Poe house, even though all the power in the district was out. Hmm. So that is very interesting. And also kind of on a really fun note. Well, fun. I think, I think it's cute. Um, it's said that the premises are protected from local street gangs by Poe's ghost, whom local gang members call Mr. Eddie. Huh? Fun. (laughs) Yeah. So another one of his houses that he lived in is in Richmond, Virginia. It was originally built in 1754 or thereabouts. I'm not sure at which point he lived there, but he seems to still visit occasionally. Um, There are two other restless spirits in the house, which are a pair of blonde haired children believed to be members of the family that built the house. They are never seen in person, but they'll show up frequently in photos taken by guests. Really? Yeah, so they'll just be kind of like photobombing. It's a house that's frequently used for like weddings and stuff and and like other events. And it's also like people will just tour through it. So, you know, people just snap pictures around and they'll just be somewhere in the background, which you could be like, oh, well, maybe they're just actual children, except for it's the same children all the time. And this has been happening for 20 years. Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) So, and they're, they never age. They always appear the same. <sighs> I want to see a collection of these photos. Really oh, I'm bad. sure somebody has one. Yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh. That's so what? cool. Nothing. I know. Just, I, I just know. love it. Yeah. So the other, you know, ghost there cannot be positively named, but the museum staff is um, certain that it's Poe. He's often seen as a shadowy figure, and he also is a attached to certain items such as a hand mirror that once belonged to his wife Virginia as well as a walking stick which he left in Richmond two weeks before his death sad yeah so that seems pretty compelling and then also 
There was one instance where a shipment of Poe bobbleheads uh, were mysteriously unpacked and lined up on a counter by unseen hands without tripping the museum's alarm. (laughs) Which I love. I wonder how he feels about bobbleheads being made of him. Yeah. I also just realized that... How bad you want a Poe bobblehead? Because same... Yeah, but also uh, when my recording cut out, I think it's because my microphone got unplugged. So there's a chance that all that just got recorded by my laptop uh, microphone, <laughs> which is going to sound horrible. Yay! You know what? That's we can re-record tomorrow if we need to. God, I really don't want to. Maybe we'll just, I don't know. The volume seems okay, so it's probably just the quality of it. Yeah, it'll be fine. It's nice that for once the fuck up is yours and not mine. Yeah, I just looked down and I was like, that's weird. The light on my mic isn't on. Fuck. Fuck. Well, sorry about the sound quality on this episode, guys. (laughs) I'm a big dummy. Um, Mercury in retrograde let's let's just blame this whole episode on that because it's clearly affecting us um, I, man yep and you know what it's affecting people who don't believe in it too my yeah, husband hasn't been i don't talk. believe in it yeah you don't believe in it no after all this well now i'm starting to but like i've never had anything like this well you have I mean, you just weren't aware of it because you don't look up when mercury's in retrograde that's true i also just yeah i just tend not to really give that much stock but God, yeah, this has really been a fuck up. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that story, even though it was probably very difficult to listen to. Do we have a listener's story? Yeah. Okay. So this email comes from Christine and it has the title ghost fingers. I like it already. So she writes, uh, Hey guys, love the podcast. Long time listener. First time caller. Here we go. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. I debated a while about whether or not to send in my story because I'm a pretty skeptical believer of ooky, spooky bullshit. And whenever something weird happens, I don't want to deal with it. So I just ignore it and hope for the best. Yeah, same. Uh, Yeah, that's a pretty good way of dealing, actually. Yeah, yep. Uh, You should prove. I know, yeah. I think the best Um, way to go about life is just... (laughs) Just mindlessly walking past the things that would scare you the fuck out. Um... Scare you the fuck out? Yep. I'm going with it. I stand by it. You know what? Stand by it. (laughs) Mercury. (laughs) So I kind of ignored the weird shit that happened in the house I grew up in for over a decade. It was a brand new house in a new housing development when we first moved in. So there probably isn't any ghosts from previous owners of the land. My mom is inclined to believe everything is demons. I would hesitate to go that far. But without boring you guys with details, I can say that the house is pretty full of negative energy of some kind. Sad. Yeah. So the main weird thing was the knocking. (laughs) This wasn't any particular time or event. It was kind of an ongoing issue up to present day. What would typically happen was someone would be in their bedroom with the door closed and would hear someone knocking on their door. They would say, come in, but no one would come in. They would open the door and look out and no one would be nearby. This would happen early in the morning and in the evening. It happened to everyone in my family. It happened to my brother so often that he would storm into my room on the other end of the house and demand that I stop bothering him. And I would insist that I had not left my room, which is like the most classic horror movie trope. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the one kid saying, hey, stop it. And they're like, I'm not doing anything. And then something happens. And they're like, oh, my God. I love um, it. Yeah. So um, other times we would hear booming knocks on the front door. And when we open the door to look, there would be no one. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. We had some obnoxious kids who lived in the neighborhood. So I would always brush it off as them playing tricks on us. And yet, if it was a little it if it was a little kid banging on the door and running away out of sight, they would have to run on the gravel in our front yard, something we would have been able to hear very clearly. Plus, if it's a new construction neighborhood, there's not going to be a, like a whole lot of trees and shrubs and stuff. Like, where would they hide? Right. Yeah. The knocking still happens sometimes when I go back home to visit. My family oh, and oh, I... Oh, shit. Your family's still there? Yeah. Get out. Oh, my God. Oh, my move. God. When you're just like, yeah, it happens. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, my family and I just kind of roll with it these days. Clearly. Another thing that would happen somewhat frequently was sometimes the washing machine would be opened mid-cycle, leaving the clothes sitting in the soapy water. Oh, no. Yeah, that's annoying. The washing machine was one of those older ones with a heavy lid that opened upwards. So it's not like it could... What? I was picturing like a front load where like if it opened mid-cycle, like that's water damage. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. No, it's just more annoying. Uh, but it's not like it could accidentally open itself. One time it happened when there were only three people in the house, two watching TV next to the laundry room, and one in the shower. So none of us could have messed with the washing machine. Now, would you just oh, would you just walk in and be like standing up, or would it just stop? Because I feel like like one is obviously ghosts, you know. Right. <laughs> the other <laughs> is if your washing machine is just broken it stops mid-cycle. But, you know, I feel like usually if you close it it starts again. Right. There's know. a safety feature so that yeah. kids don't get their hands ripped off. Right. Anyway, um so I'm going to go with ghosts. Um yeah. another time when was when I was home alone all day with a broken leg put in a load, and later found the washer stopped mid-cycle again. My dad insisted there was a rational explanation, though he couldn't come up with one. This washing machine thing happened so often to everyone that we took to calling whatever unseen force it was causing this the, quote, rude ghost. (laughs) (laughs) I like that the family is just like, well, put the lid back down. Yeah. Like, can you not, please? It is rude, frankly. Yeah. We weren't scared or anything, mostly just kind of peeved that our laundry didn't get done. My family and I are pretty casual about this one, and to this day, when we lose something or there's a minor inconvenience, we yell out, Stop it, rude ghost! (laughs) We're essentially (laughs) blaming the fairies at this point. I mean, but you're probably not wrong. You're probably not wrong. The last thing was this one time when my friend and I were alone in the house, We were laying on our stomachs watching a movie when I felt a disturbingly solid finger run down my back. Uh, Again, I don't approve of touch. I don't like it. I do not like that. Consent. Consent. Indeed. I remember gasping and shivering and my friend asking me what was wrong. I didn't want to freak her out, so I said it was nothing and ignored it. (laughs) I want to believe it was just the fabric of my shirt shifting 
and later I tried to replicate the sensation, but it definitely felt like a solid single finger pressing into my back and running down my spine. Oh. <sighs> I love it, though. Oh, my God. Yep, that's, uh, goes, anyway, that's the weird house I grew up in. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you, Christina. Yeah, if you have a fun story you want to share with us, you can email us. This podcast is haunted at uh, gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on the Instagrams and the Twitter pods. Uh, Twitter pods? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> so on Instagram, this podcast is haunted. And on Twitter, we are haunted underscore pod. Sorry. Artie's having an asthma attack right now. <laughs> it's fine. Are you, just, does your cat have just, asthma? Oh, yes. 100%. I give her medication for it. But she's just wheezing. Yeah, she's just sitting on my lap, wheezing, um, as you do. I love her. Yeah, <laughs> derp. Um, uh, she also, for those of you who uh, who've never had the pleasure to meet Artie, she's the cuddliest thing, uh, mm-hmm. and she loves drinking water out of a sink. She'll, yep. she'll demand that you pick her up and put her in the sink because she can't on account of being a tripod, do it herself. Right. And so she's just a darling. She'll also walk across you with all of her nails extended because she's bad at balancing. Yeah, well, because on account of the three legs. Right, because Jen's a bad cat mom. Listen. <laughs> I'm just saying, when you when you had her as a kitten, there were definitely four legs, Jen. I didn't have her as a kitten, but yes, she did have four legs when I got her and also no asthma. So things are going really great <laughs> for me. Maybe you could stop chain smoking in the house. Secondhand smoke kills, Jen. Oh, God. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the next time we speak with you, Mercury will... Should be out of retrograde, I think. Thank God. (laughs) I think it comes out the 28th. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the next time we get together... We'll probably be in retrograde, but you guys will be listening to it out of retrograde. Oh, so, yeah, two more, <laughs> two more weeks of fucking struggle for all of us. In that time, I hope everybody stays cool and chill. And Jen, yep. do you have any parting shots for us? Well, if Mercury doesn't kill you, stay spooky, motherfuckers. Indeed. Bye.